Well, hello and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. This is Vicky Midwood here, the Alcohol Addiction and Disordered Im Eliminator. And today I am going to be talking about talking about stuff that we don't normally talk about. What stuff is that? I hear you say. Well, I am helping people to get hopefully more aware that this coming week from Monday to Sunday is National Eating Disorders Week. And this is one of those weeks where you are going to be seeing, I hope, posts all over social media talking about this stuff. And a lot of them will be mine. So trigger um, warning, folks, I am going to be talking about alcohol addiction as well as disordered eating, because oftentimes those two things do go together. And if you feel you might be triggered by anything that I have to say on this podcast, then um, disappear now. <laughs> OK, so for those of you who don't really know who I am and have come across my podcast and just thought, OK, let's see what this woman has to talk about. My name is Vicky Midwood, and I have been in the world of, of health and wellness for 30 years now. I had issues with food from being a kid. I also, unbeknownst to me, had issues with alcohol too, but not quite in the same way as I did when I got older. So for me, the food came first, and my eating disorders stemmed from worrying about how others spoke about me and referred to me. So I was teased, not massively. I wasn't bullied at school, but I was teased because at infant school, I was that bit taller than everybody else. I was definitely very broad um, and I had ginger hair and I had freckles. So I kind of stood out uh, a little bit. Uh, and especially in comparison to my best friend at the time who was extremely thin, but naturally so. Uh, and so we were literally like chalk and cheese, not little and large. Um, she wasn't as tall as me. She was very, very narrow around the rib cage. Um, and you know, kind of typical all limbs young girl. And so we were very, very different. I was referred to as sturdy and well built um, and all of those things. And often I would overhear people say, oh, don't worry, it's just puppy fat. She'll lose it. So I knew that, you know, I was fat in comparison to, to other people. And I used to get really embarrassed when I was a kid, uh, especially at infant school, because our infant school was tiny. I, came, I lived in a tiny uh, little village um, in the north of England, and my school literally had 48 pupils in it the year I left at 10 years old. So you can imagine how tiny it was. We didn't have a massive hall for PE, and we didn't have changing rooms or any of that stuff. And so we used to get changed in the little reception area where we hung our coats for PE. And I was ashamed and embarrassed of my body even back then. So much so that I used to hide behind the coats um, and try and wriggle in and out of, of my PE kit, you know, your shorts and your t-shirt, um, whilst nobody was looking because I didn't want to show my flesh and I didn't want to show my skin. And I used to get massively embarrassed when we played rounders. I wasn't unfit. I was quite fit, kid. Um, but I would go very red. My skin would go red. It was very pale skin, very freckly. And so my skin would go red. My legs in winter would go bright red. And so would my face if we were doing things like cross country around the playing field. And um, 
and I loved my sport and I was good at it. So I wasn't teased. I wasn't slow, but I never felt great. Never felt great doing it. And I knew that in comparison to everybody else, I looked like I was really unfit. And that kind of was a, a theme right throughout my teens and into secondary school. Um, so really from being you know, a young kid at infant school, my issues began. And the reason I wanted to talk about this on the podcast is that's when disordered eating often starts for many people. And it continues for decades. A lot of the people who I help come to me in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s and tell me the same story, that their issues began when they were a little kid. Now, I got mixed messages about food, and I don't know if today's world it's quite the same, but if you are in your sort of 40s, 50s, and 60s, you are, or older, I'm sure you're going to be able to um, definitely identify with the messages that I got. I was told to clean my plate, don't waste food, there were starving kids in Africa, but I was also then given pudding for clearing my plate. Now, when I look at it now as a logical adult, what I was being told was eat food so you can have more food. It kind of doesn't make any sense, does it, when you look at it like that? But I absolutely loved my puddings. And the best bit of school dinners to me was the pudding and custard. And I would often go back for seconds. And nobody in those days would say anything. Uh, we could go back to have seconds. And I often did, especially if it was chocolate sponge with strawberry custard or chocolate sponge even better with chocolate custard. And I would definitely be the one who went back for seconds. And if I was allowed, I'd go back for thirds if I could get away with it with nobody seeing. So I was definitely a pudding person. So, so it was in my interest to finish my plate uh, so I could get my pudding. And that's what drove me. Now, I didn't realize then what I understand now, that there were issues going on with my gut microbiome stemming from the fact that I'd had a shed load of antibiotics when I was younger, culminating in me finally having my tonsils out when I was five years old. So it makes sense that my issues began around about that time. I had no clue and neither did my parents or even probably people in the medical profession back then how much antibiotics uh, especially when you have them prescribed year after year or multiple times year after year, which I did for, for recurring tonsillitis until they finally decided to take them away. And the silly thing is it didn't really help that much with the amount of sore throats. I still caught them. I still suffered. Nobody told me that. But what it did do was completely throw my, my gut microbiome off kilter. And I loved my sweets. So I would eat sweets whenever I could. We live next door to our shop and our shop used to sell sweets behind the counter and I had access to those at any time. So I could literally open my dining room door and go behind the counter into the shop and help myself. And yes, my parents did not always know how much I took, but what I would do was I'd help myself to the penny sweets and I'd put I'd get myself a couple of bags, one for me and one to take to school to share with all my friends. And again, this was part of my process. I wanted to be liked. I wanted kids to like me. What better way than to bribe them by bringing sweets into school every day and sharing the sweets that, that I 
wanted to share with the people who I wanted to be friends with and I wanted to like me. That was me people pleasing, that was me buying attention, that was me wanting to give something to other people so that I could get something back. And that was a pattern that I continued right through into my 30s until I finally got help for my alcoholism. And I got help for that because of circumstances and thank goodness that I did. So I have been alcohol free for 16 years coming up this May bank holiday. Um, and I can say that, you know, that was the start of me at really being able to fully understand my disordered eating. I'd gotten over my eating to some degree by helping myself to fully understand nutrition. So when I became a personal trainer and exercise instructor, part of our course was understanding sports nutrition. And that's rather different, but you get a background into just understanding just what food does and how it works. Now, I'm talking 30 years ago when I qualified. So a lot of what I learned then, we now know so much more and it, and it wasn't quite correct science even back then. So it's definitely a lot more incorrect now than it was. But fortunately for me, I, I realized that um, you learn after you get a qualification and that's what I did. And because of my understanding of food, the digestive system and nutrition, I was able to help myself to some degree to stop my bulimia uh, from being as crazy as it had been. I didn't stop it completely, but it certainly helped me to come to terms with, with my body weight. And although I did get to a dangerously low weight at one point and was threatened with hospitalization, it wouldn't be what would be classed as classic anorexia. It was more, I was bulimic, but I got to the point where I couldn't really keep anything down. And that meant water. And I got scared. I actually got scared. I remember, remember very clearly the day that I, I woke up and, and I was, my mouth was really dry and I was, I was desperate for a glass of water and I drank it down quite quickly. And it literally, without me doing anything, I didn't have to put, you know, bend over or press my tummy or anything like that. I, I li it literally came back up and that scared the pants off me. At that point, I think I was just under five and a half stone. And I knew that I needed to do something. I'd hidden it so well from my family. Um, I was I was that person who was wearing the baggy clothes, even though I could fit into, you know, quite small sized clothing back then. So what in this day and age would be pretty classed as a size you know, UK size six or, or maybe slightly less. Um, I often bought kids clothes uh, because they fitted me better. And, and, and also, what I've noticed is um, that our clothing sizes have changed a lot. Size six, um, back when I was at that age, uh, literally was really hard to get hold of. I'm talking more than 30 years ago now. Obviously, I'm talking around about 35, 36 years ago. That You might get the odd size six clothes, but most of the time, if you wanted smaller sizes, you would have to go to kids. And so that's what I, I, I used to do. But I would also hide how I looked behind baggy jumpers and oversized stuff. Um, so people not, didn't really know exactly how thin I actually was. One thing though that stood out for me that throughout that whole time was how cold I was. I could never ever get warm. But I was working, um, I was at college at the time, I was doing my A-levels and I was also working in a restaurant. Um, and that again is is another kind of red light if you like in that I chose to work in a restaurant where I was working with food, even though I was denying myself 
it. Um, but there would be the odd occasion where I would crumble and, and I would sometimes eat leftovers from people's plates. And I would sometimes binge in the restaurant downstairs where we kept the desserts and, and I'd pretend that there'd been an accident and it had fallen on the floor. No, it hadn't. I had started eating a piece of a dessert, an incredible dessert that they had handmade and, and I couldn't help myself. I needed more and more and more and then I would have to disappear sharpish uh, and go get rid of it and and that happened on a couple of occasions I remember very clearly that and I that I'd, I absolutely out and out lied that I dropped it um I dropped the whole thing there was literally one piece out of it and these were not cheap uh, I can tell you so that's how for me this craziness of disordered eating actually took over my whole life I convinced myself that I was coping and managing but but the crazy things that I did the lying that I did the people pleasing that I did and all of that stuff is all very typical of disordered eating so why am I telling you about this stuff here on my podcast well next week starting Monday as I said is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week and I am so passionate about people being aware that eating disorders, disordered eating, whichever way around you want to call it, is not something that people suddenly choose to do. It's something that creeps up and there's usually a number of reasons that they start to utilize food to help them to feel better or to avoid certain feelings or emotions. And we don't necessarily know why. And that's the thing. Most people who start off like I did with an issue from being a kid have no idea what is going on. They just know that they're jealous of other people when they can see somebody who can have two bites of a Mars bar and then forget about it. And forget about it for a week. Whereas somebody like me would be fixating on where that Mars bar was and how how could I get my hands on it again as quickly as possible? I couldn't understand. And I desperately wanted to be one of those people who could forget to eat meals. I didn't know how anybody could do that. I wanted to be one of those people who could eat whatever they liked, whenever they liked, and not worry about putting on tons of weight. Fact is, I'm not one of those people and I never will be for various reasons, partly genetic, partly not, partly to do with the choices that I made, but also we can't all be the same, right? And we're not all the same when it comes to how our body functions. Yes, we all have a brain and we all have the, the, the bits that everybody's born with. We've all got brain, we've all got digestive system, we've all got those major organs and so forth, but that's where the similarities end and we are all different. And when it comes to food, how our bodies actually utilize, break down, assimilate, all of that good stuff, our food is also very, very different depending on what our background has been like and also the health of our parents, not just our mum but our father too and our genetic makeup and whether we've got any genetic snips going on and all that kind of good stuff. So there are multiple factors to disordered eating and my goal of today's podcast is to get people to start talking about how they feel and behave around food because there is so much stigma and so much shame around how we feel or think or behave with food. There is so much judgment 
about how we should eat, what we should eat, when we should eat, everywhere you look on social media, no matter what platform you are on, you are going to have seen things recently, especially if you're in the UK, about lockdown body and how to get out of that horrible kind of feeling of being locked inside your own body and not having control. And now we're going to be let out, as it were. And it's time for you to lose those COVID pounds and blah, 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 blah. It's everywhere, right? If you are someone like me, or I was, and thankfully I'm over this stuff now, but I still remember how stuff like that would affect me. And I would take it really, really personally. And I would go, right, you know what? I'm going to do this. We've got six weeks now until we're all allowed to meet again. That means that if I stick to a crazy OTT exercise plan and a ridiculously strict diet plan, I'm going to be able to lose my 10 pounds or my stone or whatever it is I decided was the magic number for me. What I can tell you is that magic number never really was a magic number because it, I never felt right. I never felt that I looked like what I was hoping I would by a certain weight. I was never satisfied because it wasn't actually about my size and it wasn't actually about my weight. It was about so many other things, namely my confidence, my self-worth, not knowing who on earth I was as a person. I was so busy trying to be the person that I thought you wanted me to be. I had absolutely no clue who I was, even down to the point when I was a teenager and somebody would ask me what was my favorite color. I honestly couldn't answer. I never said it, but, but it nearly came out of my mouth. Well, what, what color do you want my favorite color to be? Because I honestly didn't know my own mind. I didn't trust my own thinking. Lots of that to do with what was going on for me and my family, but lots of it to do with myself and my expectations of myself being ridiculously high. So perfectionism was huge, you know, and it was reinforced by the language that I heard at home. Little snippets of things that I would overhear in conversations gave me a big clue to how somebody thought or I thought that's what they were doing. What do I mean by that? Well, I can remember my dad making a comment to one of his friends. They were talking about the Olympic Games and him saying, well, nobody remembers who came second. We only ever remember who came first. Boom, that hit me personally in the face. So when I got really excited about telling him that I'd come third in maths, suddenly I realized that that wasn't good enough because it didn't count because it wasn't first. I wasn't top in maths. Therefore, third out of a class was obviously not good enough. And that comment, that throwaway, that glib little comment that he wasn't projecting towards me, but he was just having a conversation with somebody else, I took that on board and I gave it that meaning. And that is one of the things that I want you guys to be really aware of. So if you are a parent with a child who you suspect may be having issues around food, or you've got a teenager who you think is displaying signs um, that are worrying you at the moment, then think about for a moment the language that they're listening to in their environment. It might not be you. It might be your friends. It might be 
uh, grandmas or aunties. The beauty of lockdown is when we're, we're not actually going to be surrounded by as many of these people. But then the conversations that they're picking up on social media, that they're hearing on other podcasts, perhaps, that they are just hearing from friends or from films. Right. Films is, is a big one that we pick up a lot of these ideas that we're supposed to be this way, that we're supposed to look like that. We're supposed to be this shape or this size. And our relationship with food is supposed to be X, Y or Z. What I want us to be aware of this coming week. So there is no suppose around food or around alcohol and oftentimes those two things overlap um, or or one gets swapped for the other so for me when I put down alcohol and I thought I'd kind of really dealt with my food issues because it weren't such a big issue at all alcohol was the thing over time my food came back because I hadn't fully dealt with it and it's only when I did fully deal with it and understood what caused it in the first place was the issues of the microbiome and more about the trauma and the childhood that I had and dealt with all of that good stuff that I really did find a way to, to not have issues with food anymore. Does that mean that I am one of those people who can eat what the heck they want whenever they want? No, is the answer to that. Because I have, unfortunately, the repercussions of my years of struggling with disordered eating. And yes, there are consequences. And this is the thing that I want us to be aware of, folks. If we don't talk about this stuff, if we don't get rid of the, the, the guilt and the shame and the stigma of people putting their hands up and saying, Do you know what, actually, I have issues with food. I really don't feel comfortable in my own body. And, I, and I'm not happy about how I eat or, or just how I feel about food. And I'm really confused because I don't know what is going on. If, if we can't say that, we're not going to understand that there are consequences. And for me, those consequences mean that I have got leaky gut, which caused issues with my digestive system over a long period of time, which led to me being more susceptible to diabetes and a heart attack. Fortunately, I haven't got diabetes, but I did have a heart attack in 2018, directly linked to what I had done since I was five years old with food and my weight going up and down crazy amounts over all of that time with my blood sugar levels being out of kilter for, for absolute decades. And, you know, I'm absolutely fortunate that I'm not diabetic, but I do have something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis because that really screwed with my thyroid and how my body functioned. So there are consequences to not getting help for decades. To disordered eating. Not everybody has the same consequences as me. Some people don't actually have too bad consequences at all. What I can also share with you is my teeth were in an absolute state from throwing up and also from drinking in that I had no enamel left on them. So when I got to my 40s, my teeth were crumbling terribly and I'd lost three teeth, thankfully all at the back. So nobody knew, but I knew. I knew what was going on. And so it's cost me a lot of money to have implants put in and veneers so that I actually feel confident enough to, to speak and to smile showing my teeth because for years and years, I did not. You would not find a photograph of me with my teeth showing with my lips open. Absolutely no way because of the terrible state of my teeth. All my own doing, all by not talking about this. And interestingly, it was my dentist years and years ago who flagged up that there was definitely a sign 
that I had big issues with food and with eating because he could see what was going on in my throat and what was going on with my teeth. So if you are a parent who has got kids and you're worried that they might be doing what I did and, and throwing up after eating, you might want to have a little quiet word with the dentist next time they go for a checkup and just ask if they can just check uh, and maybe report back to you to just confirm your suspicions. So what I want to say to finish with folks is the awareness that disordered eating is not a choice. It's not something anybody wanted to do. It's not something that anyone wants to stay stuck in. It is exhausting. It is tiring. It is hard work. It is not your fault if you are a sufferer. There is going to be a multitude of reasons why you have issues. It's never just one thing, which means there isn't just one solution. And so you do need to speak to somebody who understands what you are going through and how you are feeling so that you can get the help that you need to be able to get out of what feels like an absolute trap, a prison sentence at times. Let's start talking about this stuff. Talk to somebody who you feel you can trust, whether that's a good friend, whether it's a parent, whether it's somebody like me who has been where you have been and has come through the other side. But please do start talking and let's get rid of the guilt and the shame. Let's talk about disordered eating, just like we talk about depression or we talk about any other health issue. And on that note, folks, if you do want to have a chat with me, you can do so. You just need to click on the link in the description of the podcast and that will take you to two choices. Either you can have a, a free consultation with me uh, for 30 minutes, which is all to do with your disordered eating. Or if you're not actually sure if you even have an eating disorder, but you just want to have a chat and maybe find out what is going on for you and how potentially you may be able to get some answers, then you can just literally book in for a 15 minute casual chat with me and let's, let me help you to find out where you're at and what your options could be. If you would like any help and you feel that you need something a little bit uh, more structured, then CAMS can help um, or there are lots of eating disorder charities now where you can go to for help. So please, please, please don't suffer on your own. Don't watch a family member suffer. If you can help them to reach out, please do. Or if you can reach out yourself and just get a little bit of advice as to how to help them, then please do that too. So on that note, folks, I want to say thank you so much for listening to my podcast, Raw Chatter the stuff that matters. And I'll speak to you all next week. Have a great week.